Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, the first chapter. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. People of God, let us join now together and read responsively, whole verse by whole verse, from Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, you gods, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due God's name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is a voice of splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The Lord makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Mount Hermon like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord bursts forth in lightning flashes. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oak trees writhe and strips the forest bare. And in the temple of the Lord, all are crying glory. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forevermore. O Lord, give strength to your people. Give them, O Lord, the blessing of peace. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, the 19th chapter. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, came, when you became believers? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what then were you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. The Holy Gospel this morning, according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And people from the whole Judean countryside and all people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. People of God, will you join me now for a word of prayer? God of all creation, continue to separate light from darkness in this world. Give strength to your people. Give us all the blessing of your peace. God of our salvation, raise your people up out of the waters of baptism and send us into the world dripping wet, eager to share the good news of your redemption. God, our comforter, comfort the afflictions of all your people. Bind us up together in your presence and lead us out by the movement of your spirit to be the body of Christ raised up for this broken world. Above all things, good and gracious God, may your gospel be preached and may it be heard. All these things and all the things of our hearts, we live before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So much has happened in the past week that I am having a hard time focusing in on where to start. And so when in doubt, start with the words of Scripture and the lessons that God has revealed to us at this time for this moment. Today that hap- that lesson happens to be a lesson about baptism. Baptism is 100% all about what God does to us for us. John tells the crowd that Jesus, the one who would come after him, will baptize that crowd and all who follow them. With the Holy Spirit, that they will receive something. The blessing that is proclaimed to Jesus in a voice from heaven 
You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Is the same promise that is gifted to us at our own baptism. You, child of God, have been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming upon the Ephesian Christians in our reading from Acts this morning, which transforms them, giving them the gift of tongues and a renewed focus for the witness of the gospel. Those who have received the gift of baptism as infants or as adults do not come to this font on our own. It's the Holy Spirit, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, that gives us the ability to even confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's the Holy Spirit working in and through and around us to draw us into the water that the promises of God might be made real for us. The promise that God has claimed us as beloved children. The promise that God has washed us with the eternal forgiveness of our sinful brokenness. The promise that God has filled us with these cleansing, life-giving waters, making us people who walk around in this world dripping wet as we share with others what God has done, inviting them to receive these promises and join us in Christ's work. The reason that baptism does so much is because it is 100% God's activity. Through this, this physical sign, God's eternal promise is communicated to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the same way that the word took on flesh in Jesus's incarnation and dwelt among us. And in the same way that the crucified Lord was raised from the dead on the third day. The spirit comes to life in us. Joining us to Jesus's own resurrection, making these promises real in our lives for the transformation of all creation. Even the command to repent is the work of God, changing us from a people focused on our own, our own convictions, shaping us to become a people who are conformed to the desires of God, away from sin, death, and the devil, towards holiness, life, and the movement of the Holy Spirit. And it all begins right here. Christian faithful have remarked about the mystery of God's love made known to us in the sacrament of holy baptism since the beginning. Paul wrote in his letters that it, it buries us in the grave with Jesus and draws us then into his resurrection life. He wrote that we share together across time and space one faith, one Lord, one baptism. 
1500 or so years later, Martin Luther wrote in his catechism that that baptism indicates that the old Adam in us should die daily, being drowned by contrition and repentance in these waters with all sin and every manner of evil desire. And that a new person should daily emerge from these waters and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. We are a dead people already raised up in Jesus. Which means that our life in God's kingdom has already begun. It's not something that we are waiting for. It's already taken root in us. Our life is not our own. It is Christ's life in us. We cannot be still. We cannot be silent. We cannot be complacent. God's work in us through baptism will not allow it. Insofar as the church has fallen short of the glory of Jesus, we have denied our baptism. Fighting against and rejecting God's activity in our lives. Choosing instead another way. Committing treason against Christ's body, the church, and therefore God's own self. These are not mere symbolic images or poetic reflections. We profess to believe that this is God doing what God does best for us. Because if this isn't God's action, if it is merely a symbol, then we have yet to experience God's full salvation in this world today. Instead, we're left floundering around in life, waiting for it to come at some later unknown time. And that is a miserable existence that God has not promised for us. And it doesn't fit with with the God who has already come to us in Jesus. It doesn't fit with what we know that Jesus taught his disciples and what they, by the Spirit, have handed down to us. These waters of baptism, the movement of the Spirit in our life, these things also unite us all in a way that is unparalleled in any relationship we experience on this earth. Because we have died in these waters, because we have been joined together with Jesus, because we have been claimed as God's own beloved children, we are all one another, siblings, sisters and brothers in Christ. The bond that is formed in the waters of baptism is is stronger than even the bond that exists between parents and their children, between biological siblings, between parents and their spouses. 
more than, than being members of a human family. We are members of Jesus and his one body, the church. Which means, as Paul tells us, that we are all responsible one for another. If our hand suffers, the whole body suffers. If our eyes deceive us, then the entire body is deceived. We are all made responsible for one another in these waters. For the things that are done. And for the things that are left undone. For things spoken. And for things left unsaid. No more. Because of what God has done for us here. Can we shift blame? Or point the finger? Or deny our own place in the mix? The waters of this font are the great equalizer. Here we are all found dead in the water. Here we are all found to be unworthy of God's loving care. And yet at the same time, here in these waters, we receive the promise of God's unending merciful favor, which brings us all to newness of life. When we were baptized, we were entrusted with responsibilities which work God's healing and blessing in our lives. The responsibility to to live among God's faithful people, to hear the word of God, and to share in the Lord's Supper. To receive instruction on the Lord's Prayer and the Creed and the Ten Commandments. To receive into our own hands the Holy Scriptures And to be nurtured by those around us in faith and in prayer. So that we may all learn to trust God. To proclaim Christ through word and deed. To care for others and this world that God has made. And to work for justice and peace in all the earth. We tend to focus on that covenant piece, right? The faith formation, the participation in public worship in a Christian community. But the result of these things are another sign of what baptism does for us. This is what helps us learn to trust God. This is what guides us. To proclaim Christ through word and deed. To to care for others and the world that God has made. And to work for justice and peace in all the earth. And now it's undeniable. As a country, the focus since Wednesday has highlighted concern over a perceived threat to the status of our government's longevity, the the preservation of our democracy. And as Americans, that is indeed important. But as Christians, that is not our ultimate concern. Our call 
is to strive for justice and peace in all the world, not just our own little corner of it. That we have seen and heard excuses made for the way our neighbors are routinely mistreated and dismissed for petitioning the unjust execution of unarmed black citizens. That we have heard excuses made which overlook generations of systemically institutionalized poverty. And that we have justified or outright ignored the resurgence of images and symbols and rhetoric that call for another Holocaust should make our blood curdle. We are so distraught about the state of our country or what's happening in our country right now. And we should be concerned with what's happening in God's kingdom right now. As Christians, if we try to equate what happened this past week with the countless demonstrations we've experienced over the past year and even further back than that, our sense of justice is one-sided. Neither justice nor peace. The, the misinformation, the, the outright lies that have fueled the way that our country and, and our neighbors have divided ourselves for much longer than a week are not on the same plane as the consistent murder of unarmed American citizens who happen to be black. We have clergy, a Lutheran bishop from our own church, who has documented the interruption of a peaceful prayer service and the mocking recreation of one of those deaths on the steps that lead up to their sanctuary. I am convinced that if if what we saw happen last Wednesday were, were carried out by a group of black, brown, or native people, They never would have made it to the front door, let alone deep within the halls of Congress with a police escort and definitely not back out again. In fact, 70 plus years of documented camera footage confirms that conviction. What we saw was a double standard embroiled in our collective conscience so deeply that to have it stare us in the face has many feeling like our bodies are being torn inside out. Saying that, well, there's, there's bad apples in every batch or not everyone's violent while calling previous nonviolent protesters, thugs, hoodlums, or gangsters is a grievous offense that supports our own self-justification and advances racial stereotypes ingrained in our cultural experience. And it is neither justice nor peace. Because the truth is that every single one of us are sinful people. And the church has too long excused what we have experienced in this world, thinking that we have no place in it. Because it wasn't popular, because we weren't brave enough, 
because it cost too much of our comfort and our power. United in these waters of baptism, we are all responsible for what happens in this world, regardless of how you vote. And in Christ Jesus, we cannot distance ourselves from the suffering of God's people. And please be clear, I am not talking about a mere difference in political ideology. These waters of baptism are deep enough to drown donkeys and elephants alike. God calls us to be active in this world, to follow the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, which means being active in our civic duties. But we are also reminded that our citizenship is ultimately not of this world. It's of God's kingdom. And this baptism is our rebirth certificate. The church has been proclaiming God's gospel of mercy and forgiveness and redemption and God's ultimate freedom since they found the tomb empty. And that predates every last one of us And it predates these United States. Remember, we worship a God who was executed for the crime of treason and say with all piety in our hearts that that we are his followers, his disciples, his church. What then does that make us? There's a reason that the church was persecuted for hundreds of years, and it had very little to do with religious ideology. It was because we follow a traitor, and that traitor accosted the power of a great empire of this world. Because Jesus was less concerned with being a traitor to Rome and more concerned with not compromising our place in God's kingdom. He was crucified for that on a journey that began right here as he came up out of the waters and heard a voice from heaven saying, you, my son, are my beloved and with you I am well pleased. This is the same place that our own journey begins. Do not compromise God's good gift by sinking into the comfort of our temporary dwelling place. The sickness that we see playing out on our television screens is the sickness that has plagued humanity for all of time. The sin of idolatry, of making something else or someone else the utmost focus of our desire and attention. Because we pin our hopes on freedoms that are fragile and cannot be guaranteed and persons who are not our God, overlooking what God has already done for us, the promises that are guaranteed and are secured, the promises that tell us to be concerned with the needs of our neighbors in pursuit of God's goodness. God has given us the cure, and the vaccine is baptism. 
How pridefully sinful if we refuse to allow it to work in our lives. How pridefully sinful if we refuse to share it with those who are on the brink of life support. Trust God. Proclaim Christ through word and deed. Care for others and the world which God has made. Work for justice and peace in all the earth. Give generously and without question to those who are in need. Lift up the lowly. Protect the innocent. Promote the truth. Love your enemies. Name and renounce sin. Heal the suffering bodies and souls of God's beloved. Deny yourself in following Jesus. Be the people of whom God has said, You, my child, are beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Remember the affirmation of our baptism, where as a people we join together and say, We will, and we ask God to help and guide us. Amen.